Welcome to the Building Bridges podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Niebergall. When it comes to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, having a faith transition can sometimes create a rift in relationships between those who leave and those who stay. The goal of this podcast is to equip listeners on either side of that rift with the tools they need to start building bridges, crossing chasms, and ultimately healing relationships through mutual respect and understanding. Each episode will feature both perspectives as we explore topics that can create these rifts, validate the struggles that they pose, and discuss tools you can use to literally bridge the gap. Let's get to building! Hello, Bridge Builder guests. Oh my goodness, I'm trying not to freak out. I'm fangirling a little bit because today we're going to have a conversation that I think is going to be very, very helpful. And it's long overdue and it's been a long dream and it's finally happening. We <laughs> we are having Jonathan Decker, licensed therapist, and of course the OG gangster, Emily Salisbury, join us together today. Um, We're going to be talking about navigating a paradigm shift, which is very, very beneficial to talk about in terms of bridge building. So I'm going to start by introducing Emily, and then she and I can help introduce Jonathan, and then we'll dive into our topic. If you don't remember Emily, go back, listen to the intro, and listen to episode about fear, and you can get reacquainted with Emily's story and her faith journey. She is representing the side of the bridge that has left the church. She is an amazing woman, a friend, just a great person of integrity. She's inspired me. She helped me make this podcast a reality. Emily, anything else you want to add to your introduction? Well, thanks for making me sound so awesome. (laughs) But... (laughs) Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to be here. And glad to be with you again, Taylor, and excited to be with Jonathan as well. Um, and yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot to say. I'm excited to get going. Okay. Jonathan Decker is just so cool. Okay. So you've probably <laughs> heard of him. He's got a few things going for him. Like what? A million subscribers on your cinema therapy channel. He's got his Mended Light channel. I don't know what else channel, but Jonathan... Uh, has been somewhat of an icon for me in terms of therapeutic relationship revolutions, bridge building. And I'm going to try and talk as little as possible today so that he can give us his expert perception and perspective. So Jonathan, thank you for Hello. with me and being here. Yeah, it's it's my pleasure to be here. And it's nice to meet you, Emily. Some people know me from LDS Living. Some people know me from Cinema Therapy or Mended Light. Um, a very small group of people I'll bump into someone once in a while who remembers me from a uh, divine comedy at BYU like 15 <laughs> years ago or, or longer. Holy crap. It's been longer. Oh, half my lifetime ago. Uh, so for those who don't know, if you're a fan of studio C, those are all divine comedy people. They formed studio C after they graduated BYU. And so I'm, I'm friends with quite a few of them, but just trying to be a decent person over here and let's do this. I guess my, to, to balance what you said about Emily, my my faith journey has uh, kept me in the church, but how I look at it and how I practice it is radically different than my Peter priesthood upbringing. Uh, and my now my new life motto is, I'm Latter-day Saint, but I'm not a douche about it. <laughs> and 
that's that's what I strive for. So we'll have that conversation. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. That's just what I was hoping to ask you. Hopefully that wasn't too vulgar. Sorry. No, I'm good. I'm good. I figure my, if Nacho Libre can say it, so can I. No, my I brother-in-law is actually. in Mexico right now. And also my brother is a missionary in Mexico right now. And so he sent us a picture like, we went to see the luchadors. And my husband is so funny. He's like, did you see Ramses there? No, we didn't see Ramesses. And my husband was like, that's okay. I heard he's a big douche. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, no vulgarity on my end. So, yeah. yeah this, this, is, this is just a little bit too much for me. This is too vulgar. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> we got to clean it up. We got to clean it up. Yeah, right. clean it up. Clean up the act. Sorry. Okay. Just no. kidding. <laughs> okay. So, the topic is how to have a healthy paradigm shift. And I'm going to link more information about that in the, in the notes, the show notes, because Jonathan's already covered this really well in one of his cinema therapy videos. So I'm just Our going Wonder to Wonder Woman give, episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to give a brief definition of paradigm shifts, and then I'm going to turn it over to you as much as I can, Jono, to give us the cliff notes of that. So to define okay. it, a paradigm... This is from the wonderful dictionary app. So <clears throat> didn't not my words, a paradigm could be summarized as a framework containing the basic assumptions, ways of thinking and methodology that are commonly accepted by members of a scientific community or a cognitive framework shared by members of any group. And I would go further to say of any individual, just kind of our cognitive yeah. framework. Uh, a paradigm shift would be any dramatic change in the paradigm of the scientific community or any significant group, or again, I would say to any individual. Yeah. Okay. So now that we've got that established, Jonathan, will you talk us through this cinema therapy episode about the example that Wonder Woman had of navigating a paradigm shift and how we could maybe relay its significance here? Yeah. Um, so for those who haven't watched the show, cinema therapy is it's meant to explore psychological concepts, healthy relationships, trauma recovery through the lens of popular movies. And so my buddy, who's a film director, and I are like Siskel and Ebert meets Mr. Rogers is kind of like the idea of what we're going through. We're, we're trying to promote kindness and tolerance and understanding and also just uh, healthy living, uh, mental health awareness and things like that. And so we did this episode on Wonder Woman, the uh, the first film, not the second one. Uh a lot of people don't care for the second one, and but this is covering the first one where Diana goes from her kind of sheltered, happy upbringing on the island. Uh, she's surrounded by love, and she's and she's surrounded by people who care about her, and she's very skilled and proficient and educated in the ways that they deem appropriate for her, and in the ways that are available to her. Uh, so she she's I I like that about Wonder Woman that she's portrayed as. Uh, inexperienced and and naive due to inexperience but she's not unintelligent quite the opposite uh but when she goes out into the world and into world war one she's assuming that it's Ares, the god of war who's causing people to kill each other and hate each other and if she defeats Ares, then she can stop all the suffering and she learns uh, a hard lesson as, as well as a, a powerful uplifting lesson the hard lesson is that they people don't need Ares' help that uh, they're they're killing each other out of their own accord. He just gave them the weapons and taught and taught them how. But that hatred is a is a human trait, bigotry, intolerance, cruelty, 
these are all human behaviors. Uh, and But she also sees bravery and compassion and kindness and beauty and, and grows a lot. And she has a major paradigm shift. Um, and the reason I wanted to do an episode on paradigm shift is specifically the scene where she kills who she thinks is Ares and people are still fighting. And she she can't wrap her head around it. Her entire, you talk about a cognitive framework. I mean, that's a very academic way of saying your worldview, right? How you how you see things, how you perceive right and wrong, how you perceive people and your relationship to them and your relationship with the world, your purpose, your meaning. And what happens when that all comes crumbling down? Um, when there's evidence that contradicts your worldview or uh, your worldview is so rigid that it can't sustain uh, different perspectives or different experiences. And so she she's ready just to let humanity die, right? Uh, and then she creates a new paradigm. Her new paradigm is that people do suck, but people are also good. And they're kind of like Samwise in Lord of the Rings. There's some good in this world and it's worth fighting for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, we use that as a, as a springboard to have a conversation. And if you watch the episode, knowing that I'm a Latter-day Saint, it, it hits differently than if you're just kind of watching it. And um, I mean, it, it's meant to be, the episode's meant to be universally applicable. Our, our show is for mainstream consume, consumption. So it's just talking about what to do when your paradigm shifts and you feel like your entire foundation is ripped out from under you. Um, so that's that's the episode. That's the significance. And we can dive further into that as we go. That's great. Tell us that thing, that term you coined, that you're a great educator and that you like to entertain people. Oh, uh, edutainment. <laughs> I'm not sure if I, if I coined that, but it's I, someone once used it to describe my teaching style. And I said, I'm going to run with that, but I, I'm not that, that, that mashup word probably existed before. Um, but that is, I, I have to be tricked into learning things. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, right? And so um, I, I feel like my talent is taking things that are really powerful innately, but are often presented in a dry clinical academic fashion that it's, it's stripped of its potency and conveying it in a way that it lands with people and connects with people. Uh, I, I've been to a lot of I, I've been a, to a lot of academic and clinical presentations where I think I could never do the research that you guys have done on the level that you've done it. I could never draw the conclusions that you've drawn. I could never create what you've created, but I could present the hell out of it way better than you can. <laughs> <laughs> I believe um, it. <laughs> and, and that I think comes from my uh, my acting background and my performance background and my comedy background is is kind of tying that all together. And so yeah, we we seek to. With cinema therapy and mended light, uh, for people to learn and to be edified, but to, but to not, it doesn't feel like learning. You know, it feels like fun. I love it. It feels empowering for me when I, for, you you do it well because it lands powerfully. So, thank you. Thank you. So, we have the idea of what a paradigm shift can look like in terms of Diana shifting. Uh, keeping some of the thoughts from before and then rejecting some of the thoughts from before. And in the end, you say that she she does a beautiful job navigating that paradigm shift as a character. Yeah. So 
let's try and and be like her <laughs> as we go through <laughs> life. And one thing that the uh, the co-host, your buddy, Alan Seawright, said is, you know, if you haven't had a paradigm shift, you should because the world is different than you viewed it when you were 17 years old or something. Yeah, he, it's something like if you still see the world the way you viewed it when you, you were 17, you're not growing. Right. So with that in mind, I think that we can embrace having a paradigm shift as an absolute positive um, for the sake of this conversation and for the sake of people in our lives that have shifted differently, that we can just view that, oh, this is so healthy that you are having a paradigm shift because you are growing as a person. And we yeah. want that. Emily, what are your thoughts on paradigm shifts? Just like generally in your life, we'll speak to it more as a faith transition, uh, but anything you want to add just generally? Yeah. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing that, um, that I've, I've had to hold in my own life, uh, as well as, you know, just thinking about what it, the significance of having a paradigm shift is that it's not necessarily moving from point A to point B. Um, it's more of an expansion of knowledge, right? And you're, and you're expanding what it is that you understand about the world in, uh, in, in the classic example of Wonder Woman, you know, she's, she's, she's not ditching everything that she knew previously or understood previously. It's yeah. She had to reevaluate a couple things and, and then she expanded. Right. Um, and so I, I think that's really important uh, to recognize because it's not like you're ditching all of the wonderful, beautiful things that you had previously either. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and you're taking the good and then you are moving with it. You're not just like leaving everything behind either, you know? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because as much as, as much as things are pretty binary when we're, when we're 17, you know, there's some, there's some beautiful things about that perspective <laughs> to be held, you know, and, and, uh, and, you know, like things that, that we can still learn from. Um, oh, it's so, it's so comforting to feel like you've got it all figured out. I mean, that's, oh, that's exactly. <laughs> that's, that's a teenage trait in general. And with Latter-day Saint teens, it's like tripled, you know, <laughs> uh -huh. it was oh, totally. me. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah. And, I mean, and you're on top of the world, you, you got it all figured out. You're just wondering yeah. if everybody else is going to catch up. Set for life. And, and I don't know, I just, uh, I, I was talking to my wife a few months ago and I said, you know, sometimes I feel sad because I remember what it was like to have that simple faith and just how clear everything seemed. And, and, uh, you know, prophets are always inspired the church as an organization is the true church and can do no wrong. Um, you know, it's individual members that can do wrong or when prophets not speaking as a prophet or all these things, but it's like, I don't watch R rated movies. I don't drink Coke. I don't, you know, <laughs> I've got life figured out. And, uh, and, and then you grow, you, you experience other people and you experience not just other people, but unavoidable, unescapable human flaws and error in church history and church policy and in the current church uh, that it's like, how do I, how do I navigate this now? And I said to her, I, I'm like, I miss having that simple faith, but I also feel like I can't get it back. 
you know, uh, and, and, and I don't think I want to get it back. And some people say, yes, you absolutely can you just need to fast and pray and, and have these experiences. And I'm like, I mean, I, I have the experiences, but I, I also, I had a friend ask me one time, how do you know that your spiritual experiences aren't placebo? And I was like, Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. And, uh, and, uh, and my my family and I, we, we were in Egypt last year and we did scuba instructor instruction and our scuba instructor was a devout uh, Muslim. And the way he talked about the Quran, about the peace it brought him, about the joy it brings to his heart. And he, he basically, it was so close to a testimony, the way he said, he talked about it and said that he knows it's true and that, and he knows because of the feelings in his heart. And I mean, I would have been uncomfortable, except for I had enough paradigm shifts at the time that I was like, yeah, no, I totally get this. Mm -hmm. But if I if I'd had that conversation with him 10 years ago, I'd have been like, but but it's not it's not the Bible or the Book of Mormon. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I, I've you know? also felt like when I had that 17-year-old sense of faith, it's almost like I would be offended that people had different beliefs than me or offended that people had different boundaries which is silly because everyone is so different, but you're like, no, you cannot say anything against my paradigm because it has to be this way. Like, yeah, no, I, and I was, I was never offended. I was just like, Hey, you have truth. All, all religions have truth. And so what you're responding to is the spirit testifying of the true principles in your religion, but let us add to it. Right. And that, and that was my, my whole thing. And realizing that, my my perspective now is the reason there's truth everywhere is because God works through everybody. You know, I I, I mean I I still believe I I'm pretty I, I'd be surprised if I'm wrong about the existence of God. I'm not saying I can't be wrong that my experiences can't be placebo. I'm saying if it's placebo, it's really good placebo because it's unlike anything else my brain comes up with and emotions that I have. But like I've, I'm quite confident in the existence of god um when it comes to testimony of the church people say i know i know i know this i know that and my buddy asking me how do you know it's not placebo kept me awake for like a whole week uh just i was certain that i would find an answer that i, that I could refute him with and it turns out i couldn't and i had to admit to him like i don't I don't know that it's not placebo, but the that was a major paradigm shift for me mm -hmm. in that instead of saying, I know, like, even if I say, I know I'm basing it off of a psycho emotional experience. Um, and when I say psycho, I, I mean, psychological, not psycho as in detached from reality, but some people would say, no, you are detached from reality. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm basing it on a, on a cognitive emotional experience where I feel even what the doctrine of covenant says, where I feel peace and I feel joy and I feel like it enlightens my mind and all these things. It's still a personal subjective experience that if I'm being honest, I have to make room for, I could be wrong about all of that. And that terrified me until it, until it liberated me because it gave me, it gave me a different way to approach my faith and approach the beliefs of other people that I feel is more wholesome and inclusive and less rigid. It also, I'm less shook about policy issues or church history issues because what it comes down to is I'm like, when I read the book of Mormon, I like what it teaches me and it brings me it, and it helps me to be better. But I can also think critically about some things in the book of Mormon or in the Bible or the doctrine and covenants 
and I can also gain wisdom and light from teachings of Buddha. You know, I can gain wisdom yeah. and light from Taoism and I can, and, and which is in line with, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm hogging the stage. I'm going to take a step back in a second. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's in line with something Brigham Young taught, like even from a Latter-day Saint perspective, he said, uh, if the Arabs have truth, meaning the Muslims, we, we want it, you know, if the Methodists or the Quakers or the names, all these denominations, you know, it's the duty of the elders of Zion to, to bring the truth out from the world to, to the people. And I think we, we've lost a lot of that. We've kind of got this mentality of, well, people are good and they have truth, but we have the restored truth and we need to share it with them. And they have so much to learn from us. And there's a spiritual arrogance of assuming that you don't have something to learn from somebody else. Uh, you know, growing up, I expected that I would invite my friends to come to church, but oh my gosh, to go into another Christian church, that's the first step into apostasy. You know, they're going to lead you away. And, and, uh, and, and a lot of that shifted for me in graduate school. My favorite Easter I ever had was a Catholic friend, an evangelical friend, and me. Uh, we all had Easter services at different times on Sunday. You guys remember those old stovetop stuffing commercials where they're like, what time are you having dinner? 4.30. I'm having it at 6. We can have stovetop stuffing twice. Uh, <laughs> Like we all went to each other's Easter services and it was my, my favorite Easter I've ever had. Uh, I don't know what point I'm building to, but I hope somewhere in there was something useful. I thought yeah, so. I, I, I can speak to some of that. So I, I really resonate a lot with what you're saying, especially about, uh, you know, shifting from in your view about, about like having having a firm knowledge versus having an assurity of um, being heard by God, for example, and, yeah. uh, and relying on w your experience, but have ho also holding space for the, uh, for the chance that you could be totally wrong. Right. Yeah. And, um, I totally get that. Like that hits home for me. And I feel like that was a lot of my uh, experience as well in my faith transition. Um, a lot of it was fueled specifically by prophets uh, kind of touching on what you said uh, a minute ago about prophets being infallible, right? <laughs> and yeah. uh, and that was the unhealthy paradigm that I held previously was uh, that, you know, they are the literal mouthpiece of God. And so anything that comes out of their mouth is going to be purely 100% the word of God, undoubtable, no problem. Like I can trust in this. I don't need to doubt this and follow the prophet. Exactly. Follow the prophet, follow, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So my son right now is obsessed with that song and it drives me insane. <laughs> <laughs> and he is four, <laughs> but the music therapist in me is like, okay, we're going to rewrite this song. <laughs> How did you rewrite it, Emily? Oh, I'm still working on it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll let you know. I'll keep you posted. Oh, that'll be awesome. I, I had another friend who also kind of rewrote that song to follow God, follow God, follow God. He knows uh -huh. So I'm like, yeah, it doesn't have the same syllables, but the meaning is even better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anyway, but, um, but it's, it is interesting how, how that, that perspective held, uh, when you're 17, <laughs> is so firm and so strong and so yeah. true until it completely shatters and 
And then you realize, wow, like it wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't all that I thought it was. And, and up until that point, you're so sure you're just like, just like princess Diana, you're so sure about this is the truth. This is the path. This is the way. Why would I even question anything? Why would I even want anything else until it blows up in your face? And one, one person, one friend who says, what if it's a placebo, (laughs) right? Like that, that's the moment where it just shatters and you realize, wow, I, that was, that was deceiving. Well, and we have a culture in our faith that, um, like we say, we don't worship the brethren, but we kind of do. Uh, and, and then it, it leads people I mean, I, I think you you have to do what you feel is right. Like I think of uh, Captain America's Civil War, Cap and Tony are on different sides of things. And at the end of the film, Cap says to Tony in a, in a letter, he says, you did what you believe was right. He says, that's all any of us can do, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, he's, and then he says, whatever you need, like I'm here for you, even though we're on opposite sides of this. And I I, I heard that. And I'm like, that is a, a profound mission statement on mo and exmo friendships and politics as i've ever heard <laughs> um because people who leave it it comes down to it's not about sin or pers- or character defects or lack of faith i mean how many people have left the church and they were holding on by their fingernails as long as they could because they didn't want to mm-hmm. and but they just it, it couldn't it couldn't be reconciled for them and and to stay i've heard so many people who've left they said staying would be dishonest and honesty is an important virtue right um and i have to respect that i i mean i i had you're you're anyone who does what they believe is right um unless they've been radicalized and they're violent (laughs) right but but anyone who's doing what they believe is is right how can you not how can you not respect that absolutely and i've heard it said that I think you already touched on this a little as well, but the majority of people who who do leave, they struggle and they ultimately make that decision because they have to live in line with their inner values. And for them, that's what they think that they need to do to do that. Would you say that's accurate for your experience, Emily? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Hanging on by the fingernails is a very visceral, uh, very real (laughs) um, experience, you know, as, as far as you're hanging on to anything, anything at all that, that could keep you, um, inside the church. Right. Yeah. Just, just clinging, clinging to anything. And, and there comes a point where you realize, wow, like this isn't healthy for me. This isn't, this isn't, um, it isn't helpful. It isn't productive. It isn't good. And, Honestly, like I could say that the majority of my um, development as as an adult happened during that year where of my faith transition in learning to let go of some things that were very, very dear to me and yeah. and to realize that there is something greater. Right. Mm. And, and when I say that, I, I don't, I don't mean that I don't want to come across in any way that like, 
leaving the church is the correct decision for anyone because it's not right. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that and I'm willing to hold that. And there's a lot of divisiveness on either side of that bridge that will tell you otherwise, but it's so, it's so it's, there's, there's not one cut and dry answer for everyone. Yeah. It's a matter of um, holding what it is that, uh, you know, that is, that is most important to you, that is valuable to you, that is, um, yeah. that makes the most sense to you. And where does that lead you? <laughs> it can be yeah. either side, really. Well, and it's agonizing for so many people. And I think a big misconception among those of us who stay is that um, those who leave are taking the easy way, right? That, that well, walking the gospel path and holding to the raw, it, it's hard and it requires strength of character. And it's, and if you're leaving, you're, you're taking the easy way out, the coward's way out. And, it, and it's like, there's nothing easy about leaving, especially if you live in, in the Mormon belt. Um, staying is far easier, at least socially. And when it comes to family relationships, there's, I mean, there, there's so many ways that it's easier to stay except for in your heart. It feels like a lie. Right. And I, and I'm saying this out of empathy for the experience of other people, not because it's my experience. My experience is um, I think culturally speaking to what I was talking about earlier, how we, we do kind of worship the brethren because by the, you know, by the, my own voice or the voice of my servants, it is the same is if we actually look at the Bible and look at the old Testament and the new Testament, the answer is right there. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to read a passage from uh, Michael Quinn, who was a Latter-day Saint historian who was excommunicated, uh, which broke his heart. Uh, he, he was gay uh, and he was, as I, as I know, he was trying to live the, the law of chastity as taught by the church, but he, he spoke very openly about, church history uh from a perspective of a faithful person but saying let's let's own it, it's funny the stuff that is published now in the saints books uh i don't know how long you've been gone emily are you familiar with the saints books oh yeah totally yeah uh i really like them i i, I find them refreshing and you know it, it, they're written from a perspective of, of faith and people there are people who would say it doesn't go far enough but um compared to what we used to get for church history, it, it's wonderful. I mean, there's so much stuff in there. It's just like, we're talking about this head on, mm-hmm. but, but stuff that he talked about head on that led in part to his excommunication. Now we talk about openly, right? But he said, instead of a black and white view of Mormonism, I have an old Testament sort of faith. The writers of the old Testament presented the prophets as very human vessels, warts and all yet God still chose them to be leaders on earth. That's how I see Mormonism. It is not a perfect church. It has huge flaws in both the institution and the people who lead it. They are only human, and I have no trouble accepting that. It's all part of my faith. On the very first page of the Book of Mormon, Joseph Smith wrote that if it contained mistakes or faults, it be the mistakes of men. And this same thing is stated in various ways throughout the text that follows, that errors in the sacred book are possible even likely. I have always believed that Mormonism was the one true church, but I don't think it has ever been infallible. And I certainly don't believe it has a monopoly on the truth. So if we can get to a place where in our culture, we look at Nathan, King David's prophet. David says, I want to build a temple. 
he's obviously talking to Nathan as a prophet because David as king doesn't need to talk to get the, get a man's permission to do anything. He's talking to Nathan as a prophet saying, what do you think? I want to build a temple. And Nathan says, do it. God is with you. And then God comes to Nathan and says, I didn't tell you, this. <clears throat> I didn't tell you to say that. Right. And, and Nathan as prophet has to go back and say, my bad. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry, David, you're not supposed to build it. Uh, your son is. You've got too much blood on your hands. Later, uh, we often think that the the command to take the gospel to the Gentiles came in the in the vision, right? Uh, the vision about the clean and unclean animals. Uh, that's not when when it came. Jesus, the res resurrected Christ, told the apostles, "Take the gospel to all the world, to every creature." And they said, "Just the Jews got it." <laughs> <laughs> and, and so he had to come back and give an, another revelation and say, "Hey." No, I told you to take it to everybody, but you were holding on to you were holding on to something else. Uh, and, we, and we see this time and time again. We see we see prophets making mistakes in the office of office of prophets. But we have culturally bungled that up majorly. And the people are leaving the church in droves because of it, because there's no way to reconcile uh, one prophet saying that the civil rights movement is a front for the Communist Party. And our current prophet breaking bread with the NAACP. Mm -hmm. there, there, there's no, there's no way to reconcile one prophet saying, "I'm a Mormon" is the way to go. We're going to do this whole, uh, this whole campaign, and another prophet saying, "Anytime you say Mormon, it's a victory for Satan." Right? <laughs> you, you can't, you can't reconcile it, and. and 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 so many other things like what was taught from the pulpit from the first presidency in the 1950s about blacks and the priesthood compared to now where we're like we formally disavow those teachings right but we don't but we do it in a gospel topics essay instead of a big like we we talk about a, a bit in church newsroom and stuff like that you get some of that but we need we're losing people because we're so rigid and it's not a good doctrine and it's not it's not what i mean brigham young taught if you get taught something by a prophet get a confirmation from god that it's right and yeah. then if it is if it is and give give the prophet your full support we've got this cultural expectation that yes we turn to god for answers but you're gonna get when you get an answer be what the prophet is teaching and if it's not then you've been deceived and i was helping a client make a faith transition they were I wasn't I I would never talk somebody out of their faith in therapy but this person was leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses and they wanted my help with the family dynamics of it right and I couldn't believe the sheer amount of rhetoric of that that matched ours when it came to church leadership and prayer and things like that and my personal my personal stance is I love the church I believe the gospel has been restored. I believe the priesthood is on the earth. I believe in temple ordinances. I, I believe like that's that the big work of the church is uh, and what we have that others don't is restored priesthood and temple ordinances and, and things like that. And, and certain doctrines that are just beautiful to me. A, a lot of doctrines are absolutely beautiful to me. And yet you look at the history and you look at the shifts and you look at things where people say God doesn't change and prophets speak for God. But prophets change their minds all the time <laughs> from one from 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 one. I don't want to say regime because that that sounds like a, a dictatorship, <laughs> but I can't I can't think of I can't think of the, the other, a, a, a more benign word that I would use uh, from one administration <laughs> that from one administration to another. Right. You got it. You, you, you see such shifts. And it's like either God is jerking us around, which I don't think he is. Or the process of revelation is a lot messier than we pretend it is. 
And if you're going to hold on to your faith in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you have to make room, as Michael Quinn did, and as the Bible does, for prophets and apostles to say, thus saith the Lord, and for the Lord to say, you're misquoting me. That's not what I said. Great. Right. And 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 for mm-hmm. and for correction and for correction to occur. If you don't make that room for that, in my opinion, like I would have lost my faith a long time ago because I I would say I can't I can't reconcile this. And uh and so sorry, that's a very long soapbox rant, but <laughs> my perspective on it is you have to be a person of conscience. And if you're seeking the divine, or even if you you are the divine is just your inner voice. What do you feel at peace with, right? In the church, we applaud all sorts of people in other faiths historically for saying, like Joan of Arc, for standing against the religious leaders of their day. We, we applaud all sorts of people in, in the scriptures. Christ stood against the religious leaders of the day. And yet in our own ranks, we wouldn't dare because that's evil speaking of the Lord's anointed. Mm. And And I'm not even talking about opposing church leadership or telling them what to do or or dragging the name of the church to them, but I'm talking about following your conscience. And and where I'm at is if I don't feel peace about it, I don't act on it. And so I, I get, honestly, I get about 80, 90% of general conference. I'm like, this is great. And this is really helpful for me. And this is really uplifting. And there's always 10 to 15% that I'm like, mm, yeah, I'm going to pray on this. And if I don't feel peace about it, I'm not going to accept it. Like I'm going to make room for it to be convinced otherwise, but I'm not just going to take it wholesale because it was spoken from the pulpit. Sorry, you've triggered this. This conversation's brought bringing up a lot for me. I don't mean to monopolize it all. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I I do have a lot of thoughts, but I genuinely back. I think a lot of what Jonathan's experiences are with um, his belief and his paradigm shifts about the church are very similar to mine. So. Um, take my silence for, oh yeah, I don't have to re-say that because he said exactly what I think. Um, no, I took your silence as, as being polite and listening, which is something that I'm not doing. So I'm going to step back and I apologize. <laughs> You're good. I'm, I love hearing, I love hearing my opinion come out of someone else's mouth. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, um, yeah. I'm yeah, glad no, you brought I... up the old Testament. Um, Emily, is it okay if I add to these thoughts and then I'll give you a second too? Yep. Sounds great. Hey, I just don't want to lose them. Um, but I really love that you brought up that quote by Michael. Sorry, I don't know his last name. Michael Quinn. Michael Quinn about the Old Testament faith, because I'm one of the Sunday school teachers now. And so I had to like actually study the Old Testament because I had to teach it. Um, and I just loved seeing all those examples of very fallible prophets and um, having that resonate with what my new paradigm about prophets is was really helpful for me. Um, and then I loved, you You lightly touched on it, but the topic of the New Testament, where we have people who are like, I'm really good at, at following the rules. And this is my paradigm. And I think culturally for us, uh, we've been like taught to be really good at following the rules. And like, if you can find a rule and follow it, salvation, you got it, yeah. you know, and yeah. but then Jesus walking around with his disciples and eating the wheat on the Sabbath. And he got called out by some Pharisees. Like, what do you think you're doing? And you know what? This is the son of God. So like, I don't ask him questions, but apparently like the the people of the doctrine of that day thought like, this was a really important rule not to break, but here's the son of God. Like quote unquote, breaking it. Um, He kind of, Jesus does that for me. He, and you talked about not taking the easy path. You know, the easy path is to follow the rules that are, are put there by the Pharisees and, Jesus isn't an example of that. You know, he goes and he sits with 
the people that he gets condemned for sitting with. And, you know, he introduces the higher law. And the amazing thing about Jesus is he doesn't come to destroy the law, but he comes to reshape it and fulfill it. And I just love what you said about acting with a conscience and taking general conference for what resonates and recognizing what doesn't, but not, not having an unhealthy paradigm about it and not freaking out, but like, you know, having a conscience about it. I, I still do that with, um, my temple, um, worship. There's so much from the temple that I'm like, I like this and this resonates with me, but there's a few things I'm like, oh, I don't know. And I've loved seeing yeah. it evolve. Like we just had a recent temple change that I'm like, yeah, you know what? I, I feel really validated that that has changed <laughs> now because that was something that like, I didn't love about the temple and I wasn't going to tell, you know, the prophet yeah. what about the temple, but when it changed, I was like, Hey, I think I might've been on the right path thinking what I thought about that before, because that was me acting out of my conscious kind of being like, I don't know about that. And seeing that there was an adjustment. Yeah. So I just think that um, basically everything you're saying, like that's the healthy way. And I, I like to do it that way too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's lovely. Um, yeah. So my main thought uh, listening to both of you is that, uh, you know, you, you talk about the people in the Bible, uh, the, what we deem now as prophets, right? Um, but at the time they were not, right? They were kind of outcasts. They were the, the radicals. They were the ones that were going against the grain, right? And yeah. uh, Jonathan, you mentioned Joan of Arc. Um, Martin Luther would be another one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, And I've actually got a quote from him that I just adore. It says, unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, by plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the the popes and councils for they have contradicted each other. My My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Which yeah. is exactly what we, what I'm hearing both of you say is uh, it's the process of personal revelation, like we said, is very very messy, and and yes, even for the prophets, right? Yeah. So I feel like there are two two paradigms that I can that I can come up with that I can fathom at this point in my life that would. Um, that would address the the rigidity of the the unhealthy paradigm of holding prophets are uh like they're not going to make any mistakes they're infallible um and two so there are two of them the first one would be basically prophets are elected by god but are not exempt from influences of time or culture or bias right mm-hmm. they do their best and they uh, fix their mistakes when they need to fix their mistakes, right? And if you if you hold that one, then it's like you said, Jonathan. Like that's that's kind of a, nece- a necessary paradigm shift to hold if you're going to stay in the church. And right. if we could do that on a cultural level, it could save the church from the crisis it's in right now. I'm, I'm yeah. just interjecting. Fast, like, oh, totally, totally, yeah. exactly. Um, another healthy paradigm that I can see, which is one that I align more with, um, would be that a prophet, uh, kind of rebranding the name, I guess, is a mouthpiece of God. Um, but basically we can all be prophetic in that way. We can all be, we can all have moments of, um, of being prophetic in our life, as long as we are in tune with God and we 
are finding uh, that we're aligning ourselves with truth, right? So, and that's one that might carry people out of the church. And uh, because that's not necessarily what the church teaches, right? Yeah. But both are, in my view, very healthy paradigms and very helpful. Emily, I love the way you you share that so respectfully. Um, I just, I appreciate your respect from that side of the bridge. And every, every time you speak, I just know that I can count on you to be respectful. (laughs) So thank you. (laughs) And I'm seeing that more and more with uh, just as we evolve, there are more and more people within the church who are respectful of those who leave. There are more and more people who leave who are respectful of those who stay growing up. I feel like it wasn't that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I feel like growing up, there was such a rigid, if you're leaving, then you're damning yourself. Obviously the Mormon concept of damnation isn't literal hellfire and burning, but you're, you're not going to get to have all the things Heavenly Father has in store for you. And I'm so worried about you. And I want our family to be together forever and on all these things. And then the people who are leaving like are, they feel so deceived and they feel so shattered and they just want people to see it and to, and to grasp what they were grasping and see what they're seeing. And, and I, I just feel like there was the old adage, people can leave the church, but they can't leave it alone. Like I've, I'm feeling like that's less and less true. I, I'm seeing more and more people who leave the church and they're like, hey, you do you, I'll do me. And they and they maintain loving, close relationships. But there's still a lot of old guard mentality. I still know a lot of people who are ostracized by their friends and their families because their friends and families don't know how to relate to somebody who's left. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and they don't know how to and they and they don't I, I knew a therapist one time who says, you know, that they only worked with Latter-day Saints because that's that's the only people that share their values that they truly understand and knew how to counsel. And they're like, I'm sure you know what what I'm sure you know what I mean is what they said to me because I'm fairly devout. And I said, No, it's actually not a problem for me. Um because I've explored leaving and I've explored a lot of different worldviews. I've, I've explored if there is no God and what, and if secular humanism is the closest to fact and, and I'm at peace with all of it. You know, I, I really feel like the most important thing when it comes to loving one another is seeing good, right. In 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 everyone you're interacting with and looking for the best in them, there is a, a fantastic documentary. I mean, I know that sounds like a contradiction for a lot of people, but <laughs> it is. Um, there's a fantastic documentary, really entertaining. Speaking of edutainment, it's called Lord, Save Us From Your Followers. And <laughs> it was made by a, <clears throat> by a Christian filmmaker, <clears throat> a really cool one, who's exploring why Christians turn people off and, <clears throat> and just getting to the heart of the culture wars. And you know, I watched it. Alan watched it for both of us. It represented a major paradigm shift in how we approach our faith. Uh, I, I think we need to just make room for everyone's going to do what they feel and think is right. And that has to be respected. Right. And we have to respect each other's journeys. Otherwise, otherwise it's just war. Yeah. And we're not about war here. <laughs> not at all. I. It's all about that respect and that making room to to step away from how you said maybe it was a little bit more in the past like very black and white you're this way you're you're in or you're out and I think you know some of those messages continue to be taught 
Um, but I agree that I think it would be so great if the church had a little bit more PR <laughs> that that kind of came out and said, you know what, this wasn't our our shiniest moment, and we own that. Uh, I just think that would be so helpful um, for the group yeah. entirely. And um, and and you know, back to like being really good at following the rules and like having that be where all of your value lies as a religious person. And, you know, seeing that as, as the easy thing, I, I do see so many improvements in this church, which, by the way, I really love uh, more than the church, though. I love the gospel and I love my savior. Uh, the church also I love. And I one thing I love that my church has done that I love that they did was, you know, the example of the new approach to for the strength of youth being less about rules and more about why don't you take this to the Lord? Why don't you use your con? Oh, my gosh. Why don't oh, you? Oh, my gosh develop this personally. And I think that's just teaching, um, you know, the youth of today to follow that higher law and be less about, Hey, I'm really good at following the rules to being like, yeah. I'm really good at making room to hear how you follow the rules. And this is how I follow the rules. And I disagree. And let me explain why. And letting it be a place where we can just kind of, you know, do our thing and, and do yeah. based on what we feel we, we received from, from heaven. And I love that the church is now telling us Here's this program because I agree that it is the higher way to do things. Yeah. It's yeah. it's far more printless. You know, for example, the the strength of youth now is when it, about tattoos. It's just like the principle and the doctrine is treat your body as a gift from God. Right? And so and then it comes down to does getting a tattoo for me line up with that? And for some people it absolutely does, you know? Yeah. Like I think it's beautiful. Maori culture, all these different cultures tattoos have great, you know, different meanings than they do for us here. So yeah, there's just so much room for otherness that needs to be acknowledged. My, my grandfather was a general authority. Um, Hbrook Peterson was his name. He was in the presiding bishopric uh, and he was a 70 and my cousin left the church, but he, he adored my grandfather because my grandfather practiced his faith with genuine love. And, uh, and my cousin left the church and he got a tattoo of my grandpa's face on his calf. This was like, was like 15 years ago. And his mother was mortified. You know, what's grandpa going to think? He's, he's one of the top brass of the church. You know, and he, my son's getting a tattoo and all this. And my grandpa saw it, saw it and he says, how can I be anything but flattered? You know, the, this tattoo was an act of love and I'm going to take it as such. And I just thought that was wonderful. And there's there's a lot of even just looking at it psychologically there's a lot of shifts that are happening in the culture that are that are positives but we have we have room to grow yeah i think um, um i want to share this analogy of of the pendulum swing um mm -hmm. it kind of balances two extremes and then in the middle you kind of land somewhere in a healthy place um and the example i once heard was thinking about the way that the household was run back in the 40s and 50s where it was a little bit uh, misogynistic and a little bit sexist and um it was very much the nuclear family and uh just very much there is one way and then you could say that maybe the world is um swinging to a very dangerous place in the opposite direction sometimes there's more and more people born out of wedlock and you you don't see like women working in the home which like isn't a bad thing but like maybe you'd say like well, well they're string swinging to an extreme and now there's no nuclear family and there's no sense of what the traditional roles are and all this other stuff and it, it may swing to an extreme where you know no one wants to have a marriage or a family um but 
you know what that is, is it's a, it's a swing away. Like when you look at society and the people who are maybe choosing to look at their grandma and like, I'm not going to do it your way. Maybe they are swinging a little bit too extreme to the other side, but you know what? We got to recognize that they are seeing and recognizing and how things were, there was something off about that for them. And they're trying to course correct. And I think we as humans are wildly incapable of course correcting gently. And so we kind of swing to an extreme, but then you know what? We can look at that extreme and say, there's something that was good about how things were done in the fifties that I totally didn't see because I was focusing on how misogynistic it was. So then we kind of swing back. Um, And, and, you know, I just want to like, try not to look at these extreme pendulum swings as what a stupid waste. Why can't you just go straight to the middle? Because everybody needs to kind of go on a journey of having somewhat crazy paradigm shifts before they can kind of find out this is what I loved about what I had. And this is what was not good that I'm leaving behind. And this is what I found that was new that I embraced. And this is what I didn't like so much. And, um, you know, pendulum. Yeah. Well, and if you're talking about a pendulum, right. And you're saying, well, why don't you go straight to the middle? Well, you, you literally like physically can't, right. Like if you're swinging from one extreme, you gotta kind of swing back and forth a little bit in order to find that middle don't you yeah well you got to focus like if you're leaving for example it's the negative that makes you leave that leads it's the or it's the things you can't reconcile and you lean hard into that Mm -hmm. so that you can break free right and then and then for a lot of people i i find it so refreshing i have friends who've left when they talk about the things that they do love about the faith or the culture or the doctrine, because, because there's no ax to grind. Like they've, they've worked through a process of grief because they have, it is a grieving process. It's a, it's an entire foundation that, that you think the entire foundation is no longer there. And then what you discover is, no, I just removed the parts of the foundation that, that to me were faulty, right? We're shaky. Uh, But what did I, what did I learn at, at church? You know, these, these values don't belong to the church. They belong, they're universal, but I learned kindness and I've learned service to others. And I learned, you know, I, I know people who've left and they say, I still treasure my memories of going to the old folks home and cheering people up. You know, I, I still treasure, I, I, I so many people who've left and they're like, I still treasure my time as a missionary mm-hmm. uh, because, uh, because of what it taught me about work and putting and, and truly loving other people. Um, and I, and I think that's beautiful. And, and then to me, that gives any criticism or feedback, uh, or, Hey, you guys, are you looking at this? This is not a good thing. It gives it validity because it's not coming from this bitter place. It's coming from a, no, I can acknowledge what was good, but let's look at this other stuff too. And I think also people who stay can do the exact same thing, right? Here's, here's all the things that I stay for. Here's all the things that I love. Can we acknowledge that? X, Y, and Z was unhealthy. Can we acknowledge it's something that's going on right now? Yeah. Uh, the uh, the the non-apologies and the half accountabilities coming out of the church newsroom for various things, for example. I look at that and I'm like, come on, can we yeah. model accountability, please? Can we can we say if 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 you're like things do go up to the leadership, let's stop blaming Ensign Peak and let's, <laughs> let's... <laughs> it had to come up, right? <laughs> Yeah, well, like, and I'm just, I'm just sitting here going, you're supposed to lead by example. Yeah. So how, how great would it be to say, you know what, instead of mistakes were made and we consider the the case closed, say, we thought it would look bad if people knew how much money we had. 
Yep. And we made and we made a mistake of trying to to cover that instead of saying, yeah, here's all the money we have. We will we believe cataclysms are going to come at the second coming. Financial systems are going to collapse and we want to be in a position to do an incredible amount of good when that happens. We're acting in accordance with our beliefs. And here's why we have a hundred billion dollar nest egg. Right. Yeah. Uh, that that how, how how powerful would that be? Like Mormon leaks revealing that the brethren make one hundred fifty thousand a year in stipend. It's really not that big a deal. You know, it's only a big deal because we, we don't talk about it. Yeah. Most of the brethren made way more than that doing whatever they were doing before. And so <laughs> and, and and it leads creates like we got a hundred billion dollars sitting there and church leadership is taking home 150k a year. I make more than that. Right? Like that actually led lends credence to the idea that this isn't a, a bunch of people trying to get rich off the masses, but all the all the non-disclosure, all the not it, it is what is what leads to the the mistrust, right? And so to actually lead with transparency and to lead with, here's what we're doing and here's why we're doing it. Yeah. Right. That's really it my is... hope. <laughs> Could we see Seriously. more of that, please? <laughs> but but we're all just like, oh, well, we don't, we don't want people to lose faith if they learn this, that, or the other. We want to, <sighs> okay, yeah. sorry. <laughs> and yet those are, those are like the world shattering events when people do find out and they find out in a way that is uh distasteful right like those are the moments where people's entire world just shatters and so how much better to just be transparent and come straight from the top and just own it right it's informed consent yes (laughs) yes exactly Hey guys, your tithing dollars, this much is going to help the poor. This much is going to, it's just sitting there because we feel like second coming is going to happen and we're going to need it. Is that, is that cool with you? It's not okay. Make your decision. Like, cause this is what we're doing with it. Right. Like do that. Have mm-hmm. that conversation. Yeah. <sighs> okay. I'm fired up. Like now. it should be that hard, but <laughs> going against the, the norm that has been for decades, it is, it is hard. Right. Yeah. And that's and that's something I do appreciate about uh, about President Nelson, is uh, even if I were outside of the church, I would admire someone who looks at a lot of things that we do and says, "Why do we do this? Uh-huh. Is this still is this still necessary, or was it ever necessary in the first place?" You know, I just admire that mentality. When he when his administration began, and he's like, "We're getting rid of home teaching and visiting teaching. We're changing this, that, and the other." you know taylor you you've talked about the the positive changes uh in the in the temple endowment that uh and and all the temple language that i'm just looking at it even as objectively as i can i'm just like psychologically that's a much healthier temple endowment right it still gets the same message across but it's it's far more inclusive i don't think it gives anything away to say in the in the temple video now when they talk about the children of adam and eve they show they show an image of people of all races multicultural you know mm-hmm. yeah and i love that i thought that was so cool i mean i'm still waiting to get a, a black adam and eve black adam, I can't, yeah. I, I can't, <laughs> right. we should get black playing um because he's feeling he's feeling it right now um, <laughs> oh this is such a fun conversation um i love it but our time is running short so i'm gonna try and put a little structure into this and say i think and i admire this conversation so much because there's so much respect going on. And I think it's interesting that um, Jonathan and I have had 
a pretty similar outcome to our paradigm shift. And Emily has had a different outcome to her paradigm shift, but we all kind of are agreeing on a lot of things. And isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. So I, I'd be curious, yeah. you know, Emily, do you have any thoughts on, um, you know, the importance of where we landed and how that plays into all of this? Um, That's an interesting question. I think, you know, for me, for a long time, uh, I was trying to straddle the, uh, the very uncomfortable space of like still regularly attending church and still holding a calling and still like being engaged that way and yet holding completely different beliefs. Um, because in my heart, like I'm still a Mormon girl, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like it's still part of who I am. And, and I still go once in a while just to, uh, to be with my family and support my husband and, or if there's a family event, like I have no hesitations of going and being there and, and I love the people there. And anyway, um, but for a long time, I was trying to hold a more nuanced um, one foot in one foot out type of position. And that was tiring, man. <laughs> that was yeah. really tiring. And slowly, um, you know, I asked to be released from my calling and, And then uh, one of the tipping points was that my temple recommend was actually revoked, which hurt a lot. Um, And, uh, but that was one of the tipping points where I'm like, okay, (laughs) like, I, I feel like I'm, I, I'm creating more distance um, intentionally between me and the church. And I feel okay with that at this point, you know? But, um, but really like, I think, I think that really it's, uh, you know, people focus so much on what it is that you're doing, what, like who it is that you identify as, or what are you, what religion are you associated with or whatever, you know, like those are the, those are the outcomes for sure. But like the process of getting there is so so the same so parallel um and it's when it comes down to it it's very small um very very minuscule differences in how you might view things whether you decide to quote stay in or quote leave right yeah so Um, small we I, i hate to cut you off but we've only got like five minutes left so I need to do some concluding thoughts here and um, I want everyone to have the chance to do it. So I'm one thing I just will say for my concluding thought is I recently was listening to a come follow me podcast about come follow me. <laughs> I don't have to explain that, but um, they were talking about how um, in seminary, there was an object lesson of straddling a line and one foot would represent being in the world. And one foot would represent being in the church. And you could kind of do both for a while, but at one point you have to jump onto one, right? And I thought like, well, why can't like, why can't like this be not just like two dimensional, but like three dimensional and like flip the V and like our values also align with things in the world that don't seem like the church. And I think what I've come up with here is I like the idea of the V and like making your decision, but I don't like representing it as the world and the church. I think I want to represent one side of the V is, you know, your values and your beliefs. And I think the other side needs to be like the shoulds and the expectations that come and um, finding what, what one of those you're going to step on. Am I going to keep the peace and do what is expected of me? Or am I going to live in line with my values wholeheartedly? 
Because for me, I can do that and still stay in the church. And for Emily, you can do that and you can leave. And if you need to do that, I don't think that that means that you're jumping into the world and abandoning that whole path of the V that for me was associated mm-hmm. values. Um, so I just wanted to like reframe what the V meant in my head. I didn't give that a lot of background to formulate <laughs> visually for you guys, but for me, that was helpful. So um, yeah. I think that's going to be my concluding thought. Um, so why don't you guys both take a minute for your concluding thoughts? Uh, old fashioned ladies first. <laughs> I, I don't know that I have a whole lot of um, additional thoughts to to share. I just, I, I really appreciate having this conversation and being involved in it. And um, I think it's a really healthy thing for us to all hold uh, as far as just, you know, seeing, seeing three people who have walked very similar ish paths and have ended in different places and letting that be okay. Right. And holding respect for each other. Um, I'm, I'm, I, my marriage is mixed faith. Like my husband goes, goes to church and he believes and I support him and his faith is healthy and he gives space for me. And, and that's what you have to do. You know, that, that's how you have to make it work with any relationship, especially a marriage, right? Where um, it's a little bit more, <laughs> yeah, a little more uh, knit together, I guess you could say. But yeah, it, it's applicable for any relationship. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. Um, on my end... <sighs> You know, I, I don't like the us versus themness of the church versus the world. And the reason for that is if we if we look at it by that definition, if if the church is good and the world is evil, then the church is full of worldliness and the world is full of churchiness. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> I I look at if you believe there's and I'll I see our time, so I'll be very fast. If you believe in God and that God is good then the goodness in us is also the divine in us. Our capacity for compassion and kindness and accountability and honesty and integrity and decency and forgiveness and change and growth. Uh, And you see that everywhere. You see that divine spark everywhere. People talk about the light in the eyes of the saints. And I don't see that in the eyes of people because they're members of the church. I see that in the eyes of people because they're trying to be good people. And I see that in people everywhere. Amen. That, that that light that you talk about that that's talked about, and so if it's not just about bringing the gospel to the world, it's about bringing what God has revealed to other people to us. And I'll just say, we need to instead of us versus them, just nurture the divine everywhere we can in everything that we do, and and to right share goodness isn't just sharing things that the church puts out; it's sharing goodness. There you go. Amen. Love it. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. So try and think about your own life as a paradigm that is happening in a healthy way. Thanks again so much to you guys, um, Emily Salisbury and Jonathan Decker. Um, I'll link some more things about how we can find more of Jonathan's awesome content. And the things you've <laughs> Thank done. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, all it's time for tidbits and takeaways with Taylor. And I got to be honest, I have the desire to just keep 
rambling forever about more of this content instead of actually condense it into takeaways. So bear with me if I kind of just can't handle myself. I can't contain myself. It's just all so good. I was really excited talking to Jonathan. You could probably tell. It was good stuff. But here we go. So um, if your paradigm is too rigid, it can't sustain different experiences or perspectives. And that happens sometimes. When we are confronted with newness that challenges our paradigm, we can do one of two things. We can cling to what we had before in willful ignorance and kind of put our head in the sand to it, or we can, you know, swing very unhealthily. Um, but if we, if we cling too tight, I think that's where a lot of the rigidity comes in. And, you know, any, any virtue held too tightly can be a vice. And I think that rigid, clinging, willful, ignorant paradigms that don't shift are kind of like a virtue that's being clung to. It's rigid. It becomes a vice. Uh, accidentally, accidentally, it actually does a lot more harm than it does good, especially in terms of missionary work, I find, you know, rigid paradigms end up hurting missionary work more than anything else. So there's a takeaway. Oh man, Jonathan said that it terrified me until it liberated me. I loved that. Once he kind of embraced that he needed to expand his paradigm, it is terrifying at first, which is why people might be tempted to just be rigid and, and say, I'm not going to swing that way. I, I'm afraid that that's like one step into apostasy if I do that one small thing. It is terrifying, but it terrified me until it liberated me. Yes, he says, I'm being less shook now when I hear things from church history because I have a less rigid paradigm. I also feel that way, so... It was awesome. Okay. We do have many things to learn from other religions and other beliefs. And I think my paradigm has very much shifted in terms of separating the church from the gospel. Uh, and I, like Jonathan, I believe in the priesthood and I believe in the restoration and I believe that we have covenants. And that's kind of like what we have to offer the rest of the world religions. But I don't think that God is working exclusively through this church and that he's probably giving some things to other religions that he hasn't given to our religion that I haven't gotten to see yet. And so I don't want to keep my blinders on in case there's something out there that I could be taking a hold of. And I think that those things will incorporate well because truth is truth and truth seeks truth. Good stuff. Knowledge and assurity. That's good. Yeah, but knowledge and assurity is not the same as faith. And there's a really good book called The Sin of Certainty that helped me explore this idea a little bit more. So uh, when we get up there in testimony meeting, we say, we know, maybe it's only based off of our experience. We know, uh, but if you're certain, it's not the same as faith. And I think that faith is even better to say, I believe, I hope for, I choose to align my life according to the values of this church institution because to me, that's even better than I know. God's not limited to only working with the world through this one church. I already said that. Rigid paradigms end up hurting missionary work than they end up helping. I already said that too. Um, the example there was kind of mentioned when they said, you know, if, if there was a little bit more accountability examples and a little bit more PR happening in a large scale, that would be so much more helpful for some people who who see that and feel absolutely betrayed like it's like you're trying to 
keep this from people is like you're trying to trick them into believing that you're this magical truth but transparency is always better because then people believe on purpose not because they were kind of tricked into some magical thing that like might get found out as not being totally accurate the whole time but if you can be transparent about something and they still choose to believe all the good how much better off is that belief for that person 100 percent. that's how much i'm saying it i thought it was interesting that that jehovah's witness faith transition was getting really really similar pushback from family members about the um, administrative role in their church that you know you don't want to question the administration and it's just interesting 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 there's so many similarities out there that i just never get to see because i don't have the experience so i'm glad that jonathan could bring that up all right now following the rules is good i never mentioned that guess what following the rules is good but it isn't good enough to get you to salvation. And guess what I discovered? I don't know why I didn't say this in the middle of the podcast, because this is gold. When Jesus Christ introduced the higher law to kind of help out the law of Moses, not to replace, but kind of to replace, to fulfill, that was called a paradigm shift of gospel applications into the lives of the covenant children. Jesus came down and introduced a paradigm shift. And I think it's ongoing. I think the higher law is always getting higher. We're always being invited to do things a little bit higher, a little bit holier. We're always shifting that paradigm. We're always trying to improve. I think it's ongoing. So how do we relate to someone who's quote unquote left? I think Jonathan mentioned that there. How do we relate? And that is the question, bridge builders. I want you to think about that. How do we relate to someone who believes differently? If you are the one who left, how do I relate to the person who stayed? Just think about it. We could have talked so much more about for the strength of youth. Uh, but one thing that Jonathan mentioned that I think bears repeating is that the doctrine and the principles, they didn't, they didn't change. They were totally the same. So I, I feel good um, staying in the church with the belief of knowing that the doctrines are truth. The doctrines don't shift, but my paradigm does. The doctrine doesn't shift, but the paradigm and the approach totally does, and I think it continues to and ought to. As always, please leave a review, rate it, share it with somebody, say nice things. If you have only mean things to say, then just keep them to yourself. Just kidding. But um, I appreciate everyone who listens and helps. Thank you very much. Continue to build, build those bitches. No, no. Continue to build those bridges. Thank you for listening. Building Bridges is brought to you by me, Taylor Niebergall, and the hardworking volunteers who co-host with me. The music was written and recorded by Bethany Sorensen. If you like what you've heard, consider submitting a review or sharing it with others. To submit ideas, contact me at buildingbridges.taylor at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page, Building Bridges Podcast. When you